So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul talks about that. And I'd like to explore this idea. Um, a Christian writer has said that to remove the cross from the Christian would be like blotting the sun from the sky. To take away the cross for the Christian would be like plunging the world into darkness. Why? The cross brings us near to God, reconciling us to him. With the relenting compassion of a father's love, the Lord looks upon the suffering his son endured in order to save the race from eternal death and accepts us in the beloved. So the cross of Christ, it's, it's vital, it's essential, it's the heart of obviously what makes us a community of faith, but I'd like to ask the question, why? What is it about the cross that is so meaningful? Why is the cross so important? What really was accomplished at the cross? You know, what happened when Jesus gave up his life? And so, to begin to get our minds thinking, let's just think for a second. If I were to ask you that question, well, what is really so important about the cross? Where does it fit into your understanding? What would you say? Why is the cross so important? Now, if you went to Sabbath school this morning, your minds might already be tuned in a certain direction. Because in Sabbath school, the study was on... The law, okay. So if we think about the cross, why is it so important? The law in action. It's the cross is the law in action? Well, that's intriguing. What do you mean by that? Sorry. The cross is the law in action. Well, hold that though. That's good. If we, so if we, we think for a minute about the meaning of the cross... Okay, it pays the penalty for breaking the law. That's a really essential and common image that we think about when we think about that. And there, that's, a, that's kind of a legal metaphor, right? The Bible uses many different metaphors to talk about what happened when Jesus died. So that, you know, that's really essential. Okay? Okay? He can still be just. He can maintain his justice, the righteousness of who he is, and at the same time can bring justification or forgiveness to us. Again, legal metaphor. Sherman? Sorry? It's the ultimate revelation of love, which is his very character. Okay. It also is a revelation of love, and that's what my sermon title is this morning, God Revealed. So we'll come back to that. Any other word pictures that come from the scriptures? Yes. Okay, so it also reveals what Satan's like. So if we think about the cross, there's a legal aspect, there's the revelatory aspect, there's, let's call it the great controversy act aspect in which it talks about what's really going on, the evil of sin and Satan. Good. Any other word pictures in scripture we think about the cross? Okay, he became sin for us, uh, uh, identification. Okay, his willingness to suffer with us. The lamb as, a, as a, a picture. So that's a sacrificial metaphor, right? Brings us back to the temple. 
So this is really good. So we have a kind of a legal metaphor. We've got the picture of God. We've got the great controversy. We've got the sanctuary. He's showing us what real selflessness is all about. Victory. Victory? victory. Yeah, it's a victory. Yeah, that's, that's another really good metaphor that there's this victory that takes place. Okay, so there's, there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which brings death, and then there's the cross as a tree, which brings life. That's a, that's a good, that's good. There's a sermon there. What was that word? Reconciles, that's right. That reconciliation is another Bible metaphor that talks about what happened when Jesus died. You know, it's interesting, if we take these different metaphors, and there's more, and we apply them to the human condition, it's amazing how the different metaphors apply to different parts of human experience. For example, oftentimes humanity struggles with guilt. Yes or no? We do, and we need forgiveness for that. So the, the image, the legal metaphor, okay, you're freed from guilt, that helps. Sometimes we feel separate, alienated from God. So the reconciliation metaphor helps there. Sometimes we feel slave, enslaved to sin. So the image from freedom and victory helps there. And kind of highlighting these, because it's really important as we try to do evangelism, as we try to meet people and share with them that we have more than one way to communicate about what God did. Why? Well, any you know, craftsman, any tradesman has more than one tool in their toolkit. Uh, physician has different modalities that they're going to look at to try to bring healing. A carpenter has more than just a hammer, right? You hope so, anyway, right? Into a hammer, everything is a nail. <laughs> but we need different tools. And it's the same thing when we meet different people. People are going to respond in different settings to different aspects of what Christ did at the cross. And sometimes it's, it's the legal aspect, and sometimes it's the relational aspect, the reconciliation. Sometimes it's the adoption aspect. We've been adopted. And we need to learn to view the cross from all these different images so, A, we can have a right understanding, and B, we can communicate that effectively to people that we meet, people that are suffering from different things, different aspects, different human parts of the human condition. The Bible describes us as, as being sinners. It describes us as being you know, orphans. It describes us as being alienated. The Bible also describes us as being blind and ignorant about who God is. And so let's turn to our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 18, and see what this passage tells us as we read through it about the cross, about the death of Christ on the cross, which is really what we're, we're talking about here, and what it tells us. Why did he die? What's the meaning behind this tremendously important thought? Again, a um, a wonderful book, great controversy. If anyone doesn't have a copy, let me know. I'll get you one. But in the, on page 651 of that book, it says, the cross of Christ will be the science and the song of the redeemed through all eternity. In Christ glorified, you and I will see Christ crucified. 
Revelation 5.12, you know, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and power and riches and blessing. And the song throughout eternity, even when, when there is no more sin or suffering and there is no more alienation and there is no more separation, our real focus is going to be, praise God for what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross. Why? Well, let's look here. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, and kind of give a little... Uh, background, there's a tension in the church in Corinth. There are different groups. Some people say, well, they're following Apollos, and some they're following Cephas or Peter, and some I'm of Christ. And Paul's like, why are all these divisions? In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Verse 18, for the word of the cross, the message, the content, not simply the act of preaching, which is foolish, but the content of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then Paul, to support his argument, quotes verse um, quotes from the book of Isaiah in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I think King James says again, through the foolishness of preaching. It's not just the, the act of preaching, but it's the content that seems foolish to this world. So as we look at this and we think about this, lots of questions that could come to our minds. First, one question would be, why, why does Paul tell us that the story of the cross is foolishness to the world. What is it about that story that seems foolish? Well, that might be a hard question for this setting because, you know, to us, it's really not so foolish, right? But it's important for us to realize how scandalous the cross was for centuries. It sounds like a man throwing his life away, that here is this young man in prime of life in his early 30s, had a vision, was able to, to, to harness huge popular support, and in the midst of that, his life is cut, across, cut off. So it seems like a waste. So uh, Paul refers to that in Galatians 3, verse 13, and we'll look at that at another Sabbath. But the whole idea that this person that's on a cross is being cursed was doing some uh, study for this sermon, and I found out it was really interesting that there are, how can I say this? There are writings, Christian authors, early Christian authors, who are writing in an apologetic sense. One writes against a Jewish man, one writes against a supposed Christian, one writes against a Muslim, and they all refer to Galatians 3.13, Christ being cursed as this huge stumbling block for believing that Jesus really is the Messiah. So it's a really important topic. Also to myself. 
Ah, thank you. You get to the heart of it, really, it's an affront to self-reliance, self-exaltation, self-sufficiency. Of course, we have to be balanced there and nuanced, but really, the, the cross is a tremendous affront to the human notion that I could really just solve things, given enough time and enough resources, really we can't solve the big issue that we have to deal with, which is self. So again, it seems like what could be the saving power here in the cross? You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, graffiti, the earliest Christian image or the earliest image of the cross is not a nice icon in a church somewhere. The earliest image of the crucifixion of Christ is not a nice painting you know, by Raphael or any of the great masters. The earliest Christian image of the cross is a piece of graffiti. And the graffiti is either from the first to the third century, not exactly sure when it was made. It's somebody inscribed in some plaster, and they have a, on the plaster, they have a picture of a man being crucified, and there's a cross, um, but the man's head is the head of an ass, head of a donkey. And then inscribed underneath it is Alex Menes worships his God. So some slave in the first, second, third century wanted to mock a fellow slave, and the way he does it is he makes a piece of graffiti. And what's the graffiti? This guy worships someone that was crucified. This is insane. Now, it's even more interesting that a little bit later, somebody else came and wrote down another piece of graffiti and said, Alex Menas is faithful to his God. So, you know, one guy's criticizing, and another person comes along and says, you know, writes a different piece of graffiti and says, no, this is really the truth. Really, worshiping somebody that died on the cross. Let's go back to our text um, Verse 21, particularly. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, in whose wisdom? In God's wisdom. The world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those to believe. So the first lesson here is we, we get from this passage is that who's behind the cross? God, that's right. You know, in the wisdom of God, this is God's plan. And that it's in God's wisdom that this crazy idea that somehow the death of a person on a cross could impact people's lives, could save those people. I mean, that really is a pretty, what? Foolish idea to human wisdom. So the first thing here, we think about the cross, and we think about the lesson of the cross, is that who is behind this? God. In other words, as Sherman mentioned earlier, the cross is a revelation to us about God. That God thinks very differently than we think. That the cross, in addition to all the other things that it is, clearly shows us something about God. What does it show us about God? Well, verse 21 again. Uh, let's look at verse 21. 
1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. God was well pleased to do something. What's the word? Save. Save. So the cross is a revelation about God, and it's a revelation that God is what kind of a God? He's a saving God. That he is a saving God. But the way he saves is to our mind foolishness. What should that do to our human pride? I mean, the God of the universe, in his wisdom, makes a plan. And the plan is what humans think is moronic. That's really going to be the way that I am going to save humanity. That's what Paul's saying. In fact, that's the Greek word that he uses where we get the word moronic. It, it's, you know, it's insane. Is it? Not to those that believe it's not insane, right? To those that believe it's what? Well, let's, what is that word? Where does that say that? Let's, uh, let's continue reading. Verse 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. Now, this is really true. And when Paul says Jews and Greeks, he's just talking about the whole world, really. It could be Jews and Gentiles. The Jews seek after a sign. Think of the Jewish history. Think of God rescuing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He, he brought them out with a mighty, with his right hand and with a strong arm. You know, the idea of God working in the history of the Jewish nation is all throughout Scripture. They expect, well, this is what God's going to do. He's going to deliver me. The Jew seeks after signs. And the Greeks, well, they want wisdom. They want something that's going to make sense. I either want to see it or it's got to make a logical appeal to me. Then he continues in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. How could the Messiah be put on a tree and be underneath the curse of God? We're going to explore that in another sermon. How could that be? It's a stumbling block into the Gentiles' foolishness, verse 24, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is, excuse me, Christ, what? The power of God and wisdom of God. So there's two important lessons in there that we need to pull out. First of all, we've already seen that behind the cross is God. The cross is a revelation of God to humanity. Very important. But the other thing we see in this verse is what? Who is the tangible revealer of God. Christ, that's right. So in, again, when we look at the cross, we see that if you want to know what God's like, where do you look? You look to the life of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. You know, to Jews, it's a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are being saved, Christ, he's the revealer of who God is. And what is he revealing about God? What does the text say? Power and wisdom. We have a problem with this in our culture. What do I mean? When you think of power, how do we usually, you know, how is power manifested in our society as well? In southern United States, in southern, yeah, my keep my adjectives down a little bit. I don't want to get too offensive. Um, you know, with 
Maybe I'll get offensive. <laughs> or offending. We have a worldview of America that America is, what's our role in the world stage? Oh, we're a leader. OK, let's be very graphic. You know, ISIS, they've, they've beheaded two American soldiers, horrific, two American um, news journalists. Horrific situation, unquestionable. What's our visceral response? What's the, thank you. Crush them. Let's show some power. How does God demonstrate power? He's crushed. The cross shows us what real power is like. And real power is self-sacrificial. The cross reveals to us who God is, that we see God through Christ, and the cross reveals God's power, and that is self-sacrificial love. Now, I don't want anybody thinking I have any sympathy with Islamic terrorists taking place. I think the act was horrendous. But we need to have a view of humanity that transcends cultural boundaries, nations, and we need to view the world through the lens of the cross. And Christ redefines how power is demonstrated, and power is demonstrated through the cross. Christ is the power of God, and he is what? The wisdom of God. So one more little meddling part here, if I can. Uh, you know, we often say that the Jews misunderstood the first coming of Christ because they were looking for what? What were they looking for? The Jews were looking for? They were looking for someone that's going to what? You know, take care of the Romans. And, you know, and so they really blew it because they didn't realize that he was going to die. But we know that when he comes back, then he's going to do what? Then he's really going to give it to the Romans. So we're right. We're looking for this power? Hmm. Is it possible that we've really misunderstood a few things in relation to the second coming? Is it possible that we really don't look at every doctrine that we hold through the lens of the cross? Now, the Bible is very clear. When Christ comes, he is, his enemies are going to be destroyed. Don't misunderstand me. But what's that going to do to the heart of God when that happens? What's that going to do to the heart of God's people when that happens? You know, we think the disciples would have cheered if the Romans got their due. Would we cheer if somebody else got theirs? Again, the cross reveals to us what God is like. The cross reveals to us that through Christ we see the character of God. The cross reveals to us that, that power, as we usually understand it in our world, is inverted in the scriptures and that power from God's point of view is self-sacrificial love. And that's where real power and authority is. Something else that the cross reveals to us, and that is that God in his revelation is totally accountable. That's amazing. Most people in this world, when they have power, they feel like they don't have to answer anybody's questions. So, um, you know, back a little bit ago, I think somebody got... Back a little bit ago, there was the World Cup, right? And everybody knows that FIFA is this horrendous, corrupt organization. There was an interview with the president of FIFA where they were asking him about some of the questions about the organization. You know what his response was? 
hey, I'm the president of FIFA. I don't have to answer questions. Too often people think power is a sign of being unaccountable. Real power is being totally open and transparent and accountable to everybody. And that's what's happening at the cross. God's trying to save humanity. God's trying to answer the problem of sin. God's revealing who he is. And he's inverting the norms of society. And he wants to invert the norms in my own heart and yours. He wants us to learn from the cross. In the book Education, writer um, Ellen White wrote these words, page 263. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with his manifestation in humanity. In other words, what Jesus suffered here as the revealer of God didn't start or end with the nails in his hands and feet. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses, to our very dull senses, of the pain that from its very inception, sin has brought to the heart of God. What does the cross reveal? When we sin... God hurts, God aches, God suffers. Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. It's true. The cross forgives us, the cross reconciles us, the cross uh, cleanses us, the cross adopts us, the cross makes us one with God, but the cross also shows us the heart of God in relation to sin. And that sin and suffering in this world is painful to our creator. There's a motivation for changing your life. There's a motivation for communicating with others. That when we just go our own way and and we think we can be unaccountable and we think we can act with power and we think we have our own wisdom, we are creating pain in the center of the universe, the heart of God. I'm grateful that we don't see all the pain in this world, aren't you? I mean, just to hear about these two men that are beheaded is horrendous. If we knew all the suffering in the world, it would kill us. But every day, God sees all of it. It's every funeral he goes to. Every time somebody's crying, he's there. He's with every one of us and every person we meet in their sorrow. And that is part of the revelation of the cross. This is what God's like. He's self-sacrificial, he's compassionate, and his love is everlasting. Don't you want to serve a God like that? Yield your life to him and share that with other people? Yeah, there's different metaphors, and as I said, throughout the next coming months, we're going to study different images of the cross. But let's let this one be the light behind that lightens all of them, the cross tells us about God, that he suffers. He suffered in his son, and he's longing for this world of suffering to come to an end. He's longing for your heart and mine to be fully in tuned with him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the tremendous picture of who you are in the life of Jesus Christ. May the rays from the cross dispel 
the darkness, the misapprehension, the misunderstanding we have of who you are, that we may reflect to others your character of compassion, of mercy, and of righteousness. Thank you, Father, that we will be studying the cross throughout eternity and that we can begin now. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.